where is home, and what is it like not knowing. And our presenters will be Dan Verdusco and Mark Braintrock. And I understand they have just put together a film that portrays some of the things that are going on in our community. This, this will focus on the city of Lethbridge. So I hope you'll all consider coming back one more time to SACPA and giving us another, another chance. So at this time, I'd like to welcome back Alex Schadenberg to come and answer your questions on our topic. Please state your name with your questions and um, keep your preambles short. Thank you. Yes, sir. Mr. Schadenberg, thank you for coming and giving us the benefit of your views. My name is David Amies. I'm a retired physician. I'm on the position advisory council of dying with dignity in Canada, and I spend a good deal of my time doing writing blog material for them. Um, I want to put to you, obviously you're not an advocate of um, physician-assisted suicide or what you will, and I respect your views. I want, and I think also that as I understand it, the legislation that is being proposed in Canada, which is being worked at at the moment, will try and prevent the sorts of loopholes that do appear to be in Belgium. There will never be perfect legislation about anything because legislation is framed by human beings and human beings are feeble. Anyway, my question is, what do you propose for a very sick person who wants to die? in pain, nauseated, has no hope of any future, and um, has an irremediable condition that this person has, has, has decided that they wish to shuffle off this mortal coil. How should we deal with those people? They've had all, the, all of the uh, palliative care possible, but it hasn't, it hasn't really relieved their suffering. So what next? So right off the bat, um, I'm going to say there's a very big difference between killing someone by a lethal injection or that sort of thing and allowing them to die a natural death by not providing medical treatment and by providing comfort care only. But you know, the concept that someone is going to have to suffer because we don't have euthanasia is very much a misnomer. We, we as many things we can do, first of all, here, first of all, you've tried to create the question as to we've done everything we can for palliative care, but there's still irremediable suffering. I would actually ask the question, well then who's providing the palliative care? And then I would go secondly, I would actually ask that question, but secondly, uh, when we have those extreme situations, such as someone who has um, you know, nerve pain, a nerve pain situation could be very difficult, without a question. We do have a way to sedate somebody without causing their death, allowing them to die natural death without suffering. There has to be, I believe, a, a difference between society allowing one person to cause your death there has to be a difference between that. You can't really allow us to go there. You said about the imperfect imperfection of legislation. Well, there's a reality about the imperfection of human beings. So we're assuming we're going to create a law that's going to have enough of a protective nature that somebody who is going through a difficult situation is going to have, how would you say, enough oversight in that situation that there's not going to be any error. They're going to have truly wanted this. It's all free choice, free autonomy. But remember, we're not talking about suicide where you killed yourself. We're talking about others being directly involved. Once you add that element to it, the others being directly involved, 
you naturally have a situation where you're going to reduce it a lot. It will occur. The question is how much. Okay, that's the question, how much. I'm saying that the laws in Belgium and the Netherlands have been designed in such a way that you don't have effective oversight as much as others like to think there is. You examine it clearly, there's not effective oversight, and that's why you get these certain elements that are occurring within the law. And, uh, and in fact, Quebec has accepted a law which is nearly identical to the Belgian law. You might have realized that when you look at the Quebec law and the Belgian law, they're pretty close to identical with some exceptions, right? And the Belgian law is what precipitated the design of the Quebec law is based on the Belgian law. But the Belgian law is the one that has the greatest level of abuse. So I, I think there's a great concern that we should have. Even if we're dying with dignity, you should be concerned. Thank you. Good afternoon, Alex. Um, Evelyn Hall once said... Your name, I, please? Oh, John. John Nightingale. Evelyn Hall once said, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. I thought it was an interesting term to use death because that is what we're talking about tonight. I disagree with most of what you have said tonight or to this afternoon, Alex. Before I explain that, I just want to say that I agree with you with regard to what is happening in Belgium and in the Netherlands. There's some very disconcerting events over there. That said, I do not believe that the mandate of dying with dignity is anything like these horror stories that you have described in Belgium and the Netherlands. So having said that, and with that caveat, um, can I make one comment to what you just said? Yeah, sure. that's fair. Because dying with dignity did not come out against the Quebec law. It's interesting. Um, not funny, I can't remember his name. I debated twice this gentleman who was, um, um, he had been a world-class university debater who was working with Dying with Dignity. And funny enough, when we debated twice, both times he made the comment, I don't personally support the Quebec law. Dying with Dignity never said that. The Quebec law is based essentially on the Belgian law, and the flaws I'm talking about that exist, exist in that Quebec law. And Dying with Dignity has not come out and said, oh, I have a problem with that design of a law because it could cause problems. So I don't actually agree with what you just said. Fair enough. Okay. May I proceed now? Thank Go you. ahead. Yes. Okay. Um, a lot of your talk today has been about the slippery slope, again, referring to Belgium and to the Netherlands. I have not I've heard once to a slippery slope. No, but that nonetheless is, a law that's allowed us to that is the statement that ahead. is used quite frequently yeah, I when arguing against that kind of dignity. In Oregon, and I believe that the, the, in Canada we should adopt the laws that are in place or in, in Oregon. Okay. Um, it's been for 18 years that this policy has been in place in Oregon. And as of 2015, there were 859 deaths. 99.9% were as a result of consenting adults they were average age of 71 and were well educated. There was no indication of coercion whatsoever. There was a psychological case that you did refer to, but nonetheless, I believe that with the appropriate checks and balances that the Dying with Dignity explains, then... Um, Mr. Nightingale, could we get you to ask a question, please? Oh, yeah. I often get asked that. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Specifically, I want to talk, mention, a lady by the name of Brittany Maynard. She was 32 years old in 2014, and she was diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer. 
She had a video post that went viral. It had nine million hits. She said, and I quote, I do not want to die, but I am dying. And I want to die on my own terms. I hope to pass in peace. The Washington Post did a follow-up article, and they stated in the editorial, it needs to be carefully thought out, written, and monitored. Oregon shows that it is possible. It is humane, it is a humane option to end one's life. Okay, so I think you've actually asked a question there. Thank you. I have a clear question I, I hear from you. You want to fin go ahead and finish, but it, okay, okay, I'll speak. Thank you very quick. I was only giving 30 minutes. Stringent, 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 stringent protections are in place, as they are in Oregon. Less than six months to live, a finding of mental capability, concurring opinion of a second doctor, those stories notwithstanding that you mentioned, and the post Richard Cohen concluded... Mr. Nightingale, I'm going to let the speaker uh, respond to you and then we'll move on to another question. If there's time at the end, you're welcome to come back and pose another question. I, I understand your point. You're saying Oregon is a, is a tighter model. It's assisted suicide, only not euthanasia. Therefore, technically, you have to take the lethal dose yourself. And therefore, it has the oversight you're suggesting. First of all, the Oregon and Washington state laws, which are nearly identical, right? They're pretty close to identical, Oregon and Washington state. They are have the same flaw in them as the Netherlands and Belgium. Once again, that you have two doctors agreeing, you have after the death reporting system. And so, you know, to say that we've had no real abuse in those states is impossible to say for several reasons. First of all, there's been no Oregon study like Belgium did where they looked at all deaths and then they uncover, oh, well, we obviously have a higher number of euthanasia deaths in the data than we're getting reported. We're obviously having things occurring that are not being reported. And you only see that because they looked at all deaths, not just the deaths of those who died by assisted suicide. Remember, the reports are sent in by the doctor who was directly involved in the death. For your fact, how often is the doctor actually at the death in Oregon? Remember, he's required to send in a report. It's an important point. Yes, I, I About 8% of the time, he's there. I, I understand that. Yeah, so now he's going to send in a report to vouch that this person died voluntarily without a question and that the law was followed when the doctor's almost never at the death. So in fact, what is the data we have from Oregon? The data we have from Oregon shows us the age of the people who died, the condition they died from, yes, that they requested, and it has some information as to why they requested because that's in the questionnaire that the doctor goes through so we have some data about that but we don't actually know for sure that the person died from assisted suicide per se we don't know because there's no oversight how the Oregon law works is once you receive the lethal dose there's no further oversight and the doctor sends in the report after you died even though the doctor is barely at the death that's supposed to be an effective control system and it's not okay we don't really know for sure Second thing, you got to look at the Washington State data from 2014, and it shows you something different, which is very interesting. In 2014, they showed that there was 126 assisted suicide deaths and 176 written prescriptions. So that means 50 people, technically, would say didn't die by assisted suicide. The media says, oh, well, that means about one-third or more, or, or give or take, are people who decided otherwise. But the data doesn't actually show that. What the data shows is you have 17 deaths from other causes. Well, that sort of makes sense. Someone might have had a heart attack, they might have died in their sleep, etc. Right? You have six people who remained alive, and then it says 27 deaths from an unknown cause. 
You see, I do a lot of research. That's because that's what I'll, that's all I do. So what did I do? You look at the data. What does it say about the 27 deaths from an unknown cause? Go to the 2014 Washington State Report. What does it say? It says, we don't know how they died, and we do not know what happened to the drugs. We have no idea. We have no oversight. So those people might have died by assisted suicide or might not have. They don't know. What we do know is that the lethal prescription was picked up and they had obtained it, but we don't know how they died. Might have been assisted suicide, might not have been, and we don't know what happened to the lethal drugs. We've got no idea. That's what the report says. So you're talking about oversight? I don't feel comfortable with even that system. That's not effective oversight. Now, if they had a system where it was a before-the-death reporting system, then, in fact, you could say what you say. You could say, we know exactly because there was some sort of judicial body or something that looked at it before the death of the person to improve that everything happened properly. That might be what you would be saying, but that does not occur in Oregon, Washington State, and it does not occur in Quebec. I, again, I think that you're missing the point. I'm not a lot of fear-mongering. I'm not wondering. I'm answering a specific to question. To accept the mandate of dying with We're dignity. We're going to go on to the next question. If I were lying to you, you could say I'm fear mongering. That would be fair. I'm telling stories. Yes. I'm giving you facts. Yes. You don't have to like them. Yes, ma'am. Uh, my name's Cheryl Bradley, and I think I agree with you on some points about physician-assisted dying which I choose to call it. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, there does need to be safeguards in place to protect the vulnerable. I do think there needs to be adequate record keeping. And I do think we need to improve palliative care in Canada. Yeah. But there is some suffering only death can end. And um, physician-assisted dying at the, to, to alleviate that suffering is, in my view, the ethical, compassionate approach to take. Um, now, the Supreme Court of Canada, in its ruling to allow physician-assisted dying to competent adults who had a grievous, irremediable condition and experiencing enduring suffering, was that um, if, in a free and just society, you could not, the, the prohibitions against assisted dying were unjust. So we have a majority decision at the Supreme Court of Canada and um, that we should be implementing physician-assisted dying. And in making their decision, they were presented evidence from all over the world about how other jurisdictions were implementing it. And they felt that the um, the fears of inappropriate application could be addressed. So I guess I'm asking you with the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, are you here to tell us you just want to make sure we have appropriate safeguards in place to protect the vulnerable in Canada? Or are you here telling us you don't agree with the ruling of the Supreme Court of Canada and you want to uh, implement the notwithstanding clause to strike it down? Okay, so you actually asked two questions, and I'm going to answer them both. Uh, you actually said three questions in there, but that's fine. The first point is, yes, of course, I think the Supreme Court of this Canada decision was absolutely wrong. And you can see my writing on that. I've, I've covered that very well. Um, I, I was opposed to it for several reasons. 
Uh, first being, of course, that it allowed physician-assisted death, as you would call it, which is fine if you want to call it that. Uh, because, of course, now you have a situation where doctors gain the right of law to cause my death, and I'm not interested in that whatsoever. For your information, I actually do like my doctor an awful lot. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't have a problem with doctors per se, but I don't think any one person or group of people in society should have the right to make decisions about ending other people's lives. I think that's absolutely uh, a problematic concept. Uh, I'll go one step further then. I'll say, but now that we're in the situation, certainly we're in the situation whether I like it or not, the Supreme Court has decided, and I would say it in this way, I think the Supreme Court has imposed it on us. It is coming whether I like it or not. And in that system, if you're going to allow a doctor to be doing this or somebody else to do this, because remember, doctors don't technically have to be able to do this. Someone else could do it. Uh, then, um, then they better have better, good oversight on this because you will get the end result of abuse of the law. It will occur. So if you don't have effective oversight, if this is, if this is what you don't have in the end, um, then um, you're going to hear me five or six years from now explaining what's going on in Canada, and uh, this is what we've approved. Thank you very much, I'll be saying. So, you know, and like the Belgium debate, the guy I was debating, he's, if you look at his name, you'll see he's been part of a lot of the Belgian research. So a lot of the research I quote, he's been involved in a fair amount of that research. So he, and if you talk to him, and I've talked to him several times, he does not disagree with what I was saying about what's going on in Belgium. He didn't disagree with it. He just said, well, you know, we have problems with our law. Well, I've just explained how all these people have died without request. And all this has occurred, and I've told several stories about it, as well as going to the data. Well, that's uh, a little bit flippant to me, thank you. And uh, in five years, is Diamond Dignity going to be debating? He's saying, oh, well, you know, there are some problems with the law. That, to me, is unacceptable. Thank you very much. My name is Rena Wass. Yes. Uh, this is about the last place I figured I'd be at today. But when I heard that you were speaking and I saw it in the paper again today, I came out because what I'm hearing is, well, yesterday we had a funeral for my sister. She died the most agonizing death I have ever witnessed. I don't know if you've ever witnessed anybody dying in more pain than they can, um, than you can, or I can imagine. They used every drug under the sun, nothing. Nothing controlled that pain. It was horrific. If you have you ever had a pet that that was dying, what did you do with it? You probably took it to the veterinarian and had a very, you know, compassionate moment, and they put it to sleep. My sister did not have that right to die with dignity. And here you are. You're you're getting us caught up in a myriad technicalities. Yes, humans do make errors, but for the greatest good of all, would you not support dying with dignity? And are your views like are they are they religiously driven? Like why are you here from putting roadblocks? You know, for the highest good of society. Thank you. Why not give us a I choice? I think I'm here for the same reason you're here. Obviously, you experienced a terrible death, and I'm very sorry to hear that. That is a very sad situation. I would think that it's uh, there's a there's a great question here. Uh, you said that everything was done for her pain. Uh, I don't actually believe that, I'm sorry to say. If I were you, I would actually be challenging them. No, 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 excuse me. Was nothing from the floor, please. Was she offered the opportunity of sedation? Was she put into a sleep? I'm asking the question, was she offered sedation? 
Rina, we can't hear you on the radio, Rina, please. Was she sedated? The answer, like, is sedation is possible. They can deeply sedate a person. You know, and in those situations, that's exactly what they should be doing. When someone is in deep pain, there's no, I have no interest in your sister suffering or anybody suffering. I have no interest in that. But I think it's absolutely wrong to go down the road of euthanasia and suicide. suicide. That's wrong. And I'll go one step further and say, we will have problems with this, without a question. So, you know, one of the questions to me was, what do you want? Well, obviously I'm saying, the Supreme Court has decided. I don't have to like that. But silencing me won't help you get a better law, will it? Next question. I'm Beth Lindel-Atherstone. It seems to me that you have given us many anecdotes about situations that didn't go well, and that you're cautioning us that when Canada puts together its ultimate law, that we take these things into consideration. But it was clear to me that you did not come up with any solutions based on your data. So could you please tell us what would your solutions be that would make a good law? What would be my solutions to a good law? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously I don't believe in euthanasia or assisted suicide, but if they're going to do this, I've already made it clear that you can't have a system where the doctors are the sole deciders and you have an app what that would you do not would, What would you not do? In that system, you should have judicial oversight without a question. The decision should be made by uh, an open process before the death in order to allow there to be um, open information without a question. The decision would then have oversight without a question. You would ensure with, with for surety that the law has been followed. For me personally, I think that we have to have a lot better palliative care. I'm not saying that it exists properly here in Lethbridge or everywhere. In fact, it doesn't exist everywhere. I know that it's a serious problem throughout Canada. But it's also the type of palliative care that we need to have improved. Um, the fact is, is there are lots of options that do not occur when they should occur. We need to improve our end-of-life care. There's also great questions I have around attitudes in our culture towards people who have obtained disabilities. Is it's a great difficulty in our culture when someone has been able-bodied, enjoyed their life, and have now become disabled. It's a great difficulty for them. And I don't think we have the effective social supports in place for those people either. And so therefore they become into a clear risk towards euthanasia because it's a human reality that they are clearly not happy with their current condition. So and you can see ways of improving the situation. Absolutely. You can see ways of improving the law. Thank you. Oh, we don't have a law yet. Alex, my name is Henry Heinen, and I'm asking a question on behalf of one of the senior ladies at my table, so it's not personally my question. And just to set the record, that I'm not part of her estate because she wants to. Well, I'm coming to that, you know. She wants to know, in terms of life insurance, if she would ask for assisted suicide or whatever you want to call it, would her life insurance policy be given to her estate or whatever it's made out to? Okay. Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I do only because uh, in other jurisdictions, obviously, the question of life insurance had already come up. So in Oregon or Washington State, they have similar life insurance laws as we do here. And in the, uh, in the uh, laws, they're all defined the same way that an assisted suicide, if that's what it be, 
or euthanasia is not defined as a homicide, it's not defined as a suicide, and therefore when you have a suicide rider in your life insurance policy, it would not affect it, right? But even then, if you know, you know about insurance, how it works, if you have an insurance policy for more than two years, how the law is designed, at least I believe that's how it is in Ontario, after that the life insurance policy is good other than possible extraneous factors. So there's never been an issue about life insurance uh, with uh, euthanasia or suicide. Not to say that there should or shouldn't be, they just never had it. So. Just may I uh, ask one yeah. final little bit. You're suggesting judicial oversight. Yeah. Which seems to me that you're going to put what is essentially some kind of health matter out of the health uh, environment into the criminal law. Okay, so you're defining it as a health matter, so that's where we differ right off the bat. Uh, euthanasia or assisted suicide have always been defined as criminal law in Canada, and under that they have not been defined as health care. Quebec defined it as health care. Uh, I do not think giving someone a lethal injection is any form of health care. I don't, I don't consider that health care, so therefore I do believe, yes, it falls under the criminal code. And as I said, in the Netherlands, how they legalize euthanasia, you see it clearly in the act. They created an exception to homicide within the act, so therefore it's still seen under criminal law. Belgium is a little different. Belgium, it is seen as health care. One last comment, then. If we're going to go down the route of judicial oversight, nothing in the law moves terribly quickly. And we have a person who is, we'll say, very, like the lady's sister, very sick. Yeah. Uh, how much more time does that individual have to hang around while judges assemble and, and stroke their chins? And if if, if we first move off? on, please, I've got all of a sudden a yeah. line up at the mic, and I don't, sorry, I don't think I'm going to have time for everybody, but if you ask quickly, then we'll get everyone in. Ontario, in. we have something called the Consent and Capacity Board. You might have heard of it. And so therefore, in Ontario, decisions like that are made pretty quick, actually, under the concept of the Consent to Treatment Act. So these are the situations where there's a difference of opinion whether or not treatment should be provided or not. Um, in Oregon, you have a 15-day waiting period, right? In Washington State, you have a 15-day waiting period, a cooling-off period. So therefore, in Oregon, if you were in a situation where you're so near to death and in pain, you couldn't have it anyway. You would have to have asked for it earlier. That is correct. That's how the law works. So therefore, we're not actually talking about a situation of the consent and capacity board is done always within less than two weeks. So it is possible to be done without a problem. Sorry, nothing from the yeah, court. Yeah, my name is and I certainly appreciate you being here today, Alex. I uh, hear a lot of the talk here today, and I think someone who's traveled the world and studied the laws as much as you, even if you're in favor of this, you should be listening very closely to Alex to avoid this nice to think that here in Canada we're going to make this perfect law and nothing's going to go wrong, but it only makes sense to look what's going on around the world. Um, my question for you, uh, your organization I know is supported by a lot of people with special needs, special situations, who have disabilities, who really feel that their lives are not valued because other people in that same situation are finding their life not worth living in that case and uh, are requesting this. Can you explain uh, your uh, organization's position on the value of life? What, what about these people who are suffering? What about these people with special needs? What about these people who are in these difficult situations that, that none of us want to be? Like, how does your work support those people? Because I'd like to see a Canada where we're putting the effort into the palliative care and the care and the love, rather than all the effort that's putting into, let's find ways, right, to help these people in their lives. Okay, so your first point about the disability question, 
Uh, we do work closely with the Council of Canadians with Disabilities, and we have for many, many years, and that would continue. One thing we do is we offer a counseling service called Compassionate Community Care. Uh, so we get calls regularly dealing with the very questions of what to do in these situations with someone who is um, experiencing a lot of pain and difficulty. Um, and we have several medical people we work directly with. The point is, is that there are situations that I find that people are not being properly cared for. And I think it's, it's actually more common than it should be by, by a, a long shot. And we have a lot of situations that I refer to as people are being abandoned by our medical system. I do view it that way, and I've experienced a lot of that. Not to say that it's uh, happening everywhere, but it does certainly happen. Yes, sir. I'm afraid this will have to be our last question. Oh, thank you. Nice to be the last. I like to be the first, but I'm the last. Anyway, my name is Joseph took A quick question regarding the animal kingdom. We're all part of it. And I look at wildlife and how they suffer, and nobody helps them. So can you give me a, just an observation? Why are we so superior to other the rest of the animal kingdom? Do you have a comment? If you don't, that's well, that's, that's a pretty loaded question, but the fact of it is is that we have a culture, and in our culture, our country, we have laws, and our laws are designed to protect each other. So we're living in a community all together, people of different values, different ideas, uh, different um, religions, you would say, fine. We all live together, um, and the fact is the law has to be designed to protect us, and even to protect us sometimes from each other. Therefore, euthanasia or assisted suicide are a really bad idea. It allows somebody else in law to cause your death. Um, I don't think that will ever be a safe idea. It will always have some level of abuse. I'm only going to ask you the question, what level of abuse will you consider acceptable? Okay. I'd like to thank you all for coming, and would you please join me in thanking Alex for this presentation this afternoon. Thank <laughs> you.